Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. Oftentimes, the world needs a hero, and not just any hero will do. A mighty hero forged of destiny, created in the fires of England, where the magic is old, like the history, and they still have real castles, and now they've got a Disney too, and hey, now this is owned by Disney, and sometimes, the hero you need is so great, it's forging the mutant sword of hope? I don't... eh, Sometimes, that legacy is just adding a new in the front, because that's what they were doing at the time. Sometimes it's stealing the format from the book you inspired. Sorry, Exiles. But no matter what, at the end of the day, Excalibur is always that weird fucking X-book that absolutely nobody knows why costs a dollar more per issue. That, of course, makes this The Danger Room Files. This is We Are Krakoa. I am Nico. I'm Dylan. And I'm Jonah, and we hope you survive the experience. This is a biggie for me, you guys. I know that I'm always like, this one's my favorite, that one's my favorite. I mean, I think I say that everything's my favorite, except except X-Factor and X-Force. But this is really one of my biggies. Everybody knows how much I love Captain Britain and Excalibur, so I couldn't be more excited to talk about Excalibur today. As always, I have the 80s Mutant Mania crack team assembled. I have Dylan and I have Jonah. Now, Dylan, everybody knows that I have extensive Excalibur and Captain Britain background. How about yourself? Are you deep in with the... Oh, God, no. (laughs) Do you Lighthouse? Have you pulled out Excalibur before? train (laughs) oh my what is that a metaphor for hashtag verse (laughs) um yeah i've read all of excalibur i'm not too well versed in all things solo captain britain but everything excalibur i am probably on par with you about. And that is like the best thing I could ask for. Now, (laughs) Jonah, something that I've come to realize is very few people understand how I feel about comics, except everybody understands exactly how I feel about comics. We all have our own thing. I have an aunt and she's just one of the coolest people in the world. And you think that she doesn't have like a deep, intense fandom until she starts pulling out General Hospital cast lists out of nowhere from 1983. And you think my sister has no interests and then she starts reciting giant stats and i thought that kevo just sort of like casualed through fandom no he can name every star wars alien ever as i'm learning for our new html star wars legacy series i feel like there is so much to x-men fandom that it's just like anime in terms of it's so big and it's so expansive and i want to tell all about how cool nightcrawler is in the 1980s when he's over on Excalibur, but I also want to hit when he comes back to the X-Men sometime in the 90s, and that was a really cool run, too, and I have all of these conflicting things, and Jonah, I almost started us on Excalibur, I remember. So, this has been, like, a really long payoff. This is the book I'm most excited to read in its original run. Not that I'm not enjoying the current-day Dawn of X Excalibur title, but I was more excited to see my Nightcrawler and my Kitty do fantastical otherworldian adventure thingy and see a big buff Captain Britain and Rachel's there. Oh goodness, my Megan. I keep saying this, I love Megan so much and I haven't even met her yet, technically. <laughs> it actually burns my my deep soul because Megan is not in so many runs that she's in. She's like Jean, where because she's so powerful, taking her off the board is as good as having her in play. So that's something to keep in mind. We first start off with the Claremont Davis years from October 1988 to November 1989, which saw Excalibur specials, as well as Excalibur 1-13, which saw the roster of Captain Britain, Megan, Nightcrawler, Shadowcat, and Phoenix, Rachel Summers. Now, I know at this 
point, some of these characters might not have been known or been treated the best by Marvel and their writers. I know Captain Britain went through a very tumultuous phase, I guess by way you could say it. How did this start feel for you guys, for these characters, putting them in a completely different story and giving new life to some characters? It takes a little bit of the background that goes into shaping Excalibur as a title. Claremont had been desperate to get Excalibur going. One of the plans behind starting New Mutants was put another X-Team somewhere else, and that had been a thought with X-Factor as well. They were going to wind up in California, and then that didn't happen, and you know, they had actually tried that with the fucking champions, and that didn't really work. So, the idea was constantly to get another X-Team. It would always seem out in LA, but at the end of the day, they wound up going with England, and Claremont having created Captain Britain, written 10 issues, and then had to leave the character behind, clearly killed him. He got his hands on Betsy as soon as he could, and once he could get his hands on Captain Britain, well, Alan Davis and Alan Moore went ahead and created a Phoenix-level powerful character in Megan for him to obsess over, and he just fucking needed somewhere to put some of these fucking X-Men. Really. Rachel disappears like issue 206 or something we just don't see her again after that 209 somewhere in there and then when we next see her it's here kitty and kurt are going through their own thing and it leads them to captain britain and megan now i've gone back and read a lot of this but i know dylan you've never read captain britain that came before excalibur right correct when i read excalibur for my first time that was my first and has only been my only experience of knowing ryan from that time (laughs) it's interesting because i I know I was in that boat at one point too, and I can't imagine liking him now without that context. So I'm not sure how people like him from this. I also don't really understand how people read Excalibur at the time. When you take a look at how this crazy thing was collected... Okay, so Excalibur first appears in Excalibur Special Edition, The Sword is Drawn, in 1988. And then the team gets their ongoing title in October of the same year, right? But at the same time, they do all of these, like, specials, right? So it's not just the Special Edition Sword is Drawn, which is, like, annual-sized or maybe even a little bigger. They do Mojo Mayhem, which is another sort of super special... A guy comes in and does a Marvel Comics Presents story. It just felt crazy because then there's more specials in the next trade. And it, it was just overwhelming. Dylan, I have to imagine that, like, uh, some of the stuff I just said, you had no idea about. I mean, I vaguely did. When I went back to read all of Excalibur, when I was really, really getting into comics and was actually able to get most of Excalibur, because for some reason, at least where I live, Excalibur, lots of comic book stores always had, like, a trillion copies of every issue of Excalibur. I don't know if it was, like, unpopular or not back then. Then as the years went on and I tried to look more into the past of characters like Captain Britain, it seemed very confusing with how the specials came out because they seemed to come out in the middle of like important arcs of Excalibur. So I kind of gave up on trying to make sense of it. Jonah, I have to assume that you don't even know the setup of Excalibur. You're unaware of the predicating plot that forges this team together. That is absolutely correct. Well, one of the more unusual things about this title is that the whole pitch behind Excalibur Excalibur was industry legends and mega masterminds of comics, Chris Claremont and Alan Davis coming together to forge a new era. And this book was totally different looking. It had a cardstock cover, right? And it had these gorgeous covers. It had a fronts piece and a backs piece. And Alan Davis and Chris Claremont started this book so far in advance so that they could be way ahead. And there was so much forethought put into this title. But like all great things, if I'm not mistaken, Claremont and Davis didn't always have the best relationship and I think Alan Davis just kind of got bored after a while and he left just after starting what I kind of think is the best known arc of Excalibur starting with Excalibur number starting with Excalibur number 12 we get the cross time caper and the cross time caper sort of sets up every big time travel story that Marvel will ever do ever again if it wasn't days of future past it follows cross time caper And Alan Davis, just a handful of issues into starting, just jumps off the title. He appears sporadically throughout, I think, up through the early 30s. But he really does depart the book pretty abruptly and unforgettably. For those people that don't pay too much attention to comics writers and or artists, 
and if you just read the books, I think it's really apparent in the issues like 14, 15, how much characterization and story kind of changes when that all transpired behind the scenes. Yeah, Excalibur is a book you have to love the best parts version of, you know, when you have a movie where you just want to fast forward through about 35 minutes of it so your friends will like it. <laughs> that's kind of a thing you should do with Excalibur. I guess you can say Claremont and Davis had some spotty years between November 1989 to February 1991, which, oh my god, that's almost two full years, which saw more Excalibur specials as well as Excalibur 14 to 34, which saw the same roster of Captain Britain, Megan, Nightcrawler, Shadowcat, and Phoenix. What makes these years spotty? What happened? Is it because these two didn't really mesh well together? Did this affect the art as a whole? Do you think these issues are worse? Equal to? Do they not match up? What happened? So let me start with, I really do love the cross-time caper. Now, the cross-time caper starts in issue 12, and right on the cover of issue 12, it says, the cross-time caper, part one of nine, right? So you think if the cover of the first issue says cross-time caper, part one of nine, you can assume that, well, the cross-time caper is only going to be nine parts. However, due to all sorts of shipping problems, the actual final issue of the cross-time caper is issue 24 and people were so fucking tired of this thing the cover of 25 actually says the cross-time caper instead of having a part listed after it says is still over <laughs> so it is a situation where the cross-time caper itself really did have a strong arc to it but that it's pretty immediately followed by a fill-in and then oh god okay so I genuinely love Jamie it's come up a few times if you follow our We Are Krakoa feed. I love Jamie Braddock. He is a fascinating character. And Claremont really, really has a lot of fun with Excalibur number 27, which devastatingly doesn't have Alan Davis on it. It has Barry Windsor Smith and Bill Sienkiewicz, who, I mean, obviously I'm not complaining. Those are both guys I love. But it is shocking to me how this identity is Alan Davis and he's just immediately gone. I feel like when that happened was probably the biggest shift in Excalibur. Sometimes I think people don't always necessarily consider the artist of books as being a huge part of comics, but it really does set a tone, especially if you have the first dozen issues of a book. The art really goes with the story, and this was kind of an even bigger shift in the book to me. And, you know, it's something that I'm really glad you brought up because, Jonah, of course I was going to want to do this show with you either way, but early on in the show, you immediately took to noticing how the artist's style greatly influences the storytelling. And Alan Davis is someone who loves big, swollen, over-the-top magical figures, but understands how to do delicate and gentle. If you're a fan of Jean Grey and you checked out House of X, the Through the Ages variant featuring Jean on the cover is by Alan Davis. He understands how to do gentle femininity and he also understands extreme dynamics. But when you see these fill-ins just come out of nowhere and the story's disjointed. In fact, Dylan, that's exactly why every comic shop had all these issues of Excalibur. It was a book that sold top 10 because of the name, even if that was a fill-in issue. Jonah, you can see why I put off having us get to Excalibur. One thing I want to note is Chris Claremont, I feel like, is notorious for having a lot of ideas, especially after personally meeting him. And he has a lot of different stories in his head. One of the things that I thought was very fascinating that he did state, he originally intended for Kitty Pride and Rachel to end up as a couple, and he wanted Rachel Summers to be Kitty's love interest and the love of her life. And from what I've done a little bit of research, it seems like it is heavily coded in the same way that Chris Claremont used to write um, Destiny and Mystique, where he wasn't allowed to outright say it, but, you know, they're what historians would say are quote-unquote gal pals. I think it's maybe not as clear as Destiny and Mystique, but I definitely get the vibe. You definitely get the idea that these two women had more intense feelings for each other than anything on the surface. As a matter of fact, the number of stories that Claremont never got to tell with those two characters even led to a 
miniseries years later called X-Men True Friends. Dylan, were you aware of all of the sort of like, no, no, make Rachel relevant miniseries they did at the end of the 90s, like Phoenix Ascani and X-Men True Friends? I did know of a few. I know from when reading Excalibur as a kid and seeing different things from like Excalibur and then X-Men Classic seemed like they tried really hard to make Rachel very, very relevant. I think they were trying to get the same popularity that Jean had, but it just never took. Jonah, I think it's probably going to be, you're going to be an exciting barometer for Rachel for me, because I don't know that I watched Rachel unfold in order. I feel like because I knew pieces of who she was, I kind of formed some initial opinions outside of that you know she'll continue to appear, and the two issues of Days of Future Past you've read, how much do you really know about Rachel going into this? I literally know nothing. I know semi the circumstances of her births, but like a really bastardized, simple, watered down. I don't know the full story. I don't know exactly how it happens. I just know that she's Gene and Scott's kid, kinda. There's very little I can go off of, so me getting to read Rachel in her first real incarnation, because I don't want to say Days of Future Past is her first appearance. Technically, she appears there, but she doesn't really do much outside of setting Kitty to the past. I, I don't think that's enough of to go off on for a character, but I'm ready to see if I receive Rachel more positively, because I don't know who she is, than Nico on his initial reads, because he already had a preconceived notion of who she was. I've always known about the hinted Kitty and Rachel thing, and I am actually one of those people that is a little weirded out by it, because I... Rachel's from the future, and I know that they showed Kitty in the future and how close they were, but I feel like Kitty is too close to Scott and Jean to be in a relationship with their child, but I have weird feelings about that. In recent issues, like a few years ago, there was a slight relationship between Rachel and another member from Excalibur who Jonah loves, and I didn't really care for that relationship either because, once again, Nightcrawler is a character that I feel should not be wanting a relationship with a child of Scott and Jean's. I read a panel between Nightcrawler and Jean where Nightcrawler tells Jean, I'm so happy you're alive. Jean says, will you join my team? And Nightcrawler says, of course I would, just don't die on me again. And Jean says, well, because you asked. And like that special moment was just such a beautiful thing to read. I don't want Nightcrawler dating Rachel. That's just icky. So I just want to jump in with a little bit of why I understand that dichotomy that you're trying to discuss. I think it's that Rachel is, as we know her, then affectionate with adult Kate, and is now with much younger Kate, physically in person, so these feelings she has would be for a much more developed Kate that she is then projecting this Kate to become. Simultaneously, this Rachel has never been born here, so if she ever is born, Kate, if you ever babysit, you're babysitting your girlfriend as a baby with your girlfriend. It's weird. So I kind of see what you're all getting at. It is a weird topic to parse for sure. Moving on, we have the Lobdell years from March 1991 to September 1991, which saw, again, more Excalibur specials, Excalibur 35 to 41, with the same roster of Captain Britain, Megan, Nightcrawler, Shadowcat, and Phoenix. Now, this is under a different writer and what I presume to be a different team overall. How did that affect the story, and did that change your love for it? Did you not like it? What happened? Give me the details. Give me the D. Spill that tea. Claremont just sort of leaves. There's really nothing to talk about. He was in a bad place with the company. He was withdrawing from involvement. They didn't want to cancel the title, but it really wasn't a title anybody else understood. So Scott Lobdell was just one of the guys who every fucking thing that Claremont dropped on his way out the door got thrown to Fabian Nicieza or Scott Lobdell. And so here comes Scott Lobdell trying to take over where the team is, frankly, kind of a shambles to really address how weird it is that the team never changed. We're this far in and the team still hasn't changed. And Scott Lobdell has an injured kitty and 
Captain Britain, who's really never been anybody's leading guy, and Rachel, who's not Jean, so... Well, Jean's back. Who the fuck needs Rachel? And Megan, who... Great, she's cute, she's pretty, she's got so many powers, and he, they just sort of inherit this mess that wouldn't have been a mess if Claremont was still there, but it, it was just a mess, and there was really nothing to pick up. Honest to God, it just should have been cancelled after Claremont left. They should have had someone come in, like a Peter David, do like five issues to close it out. Bye. These issues, it just kind of seemed like a bunch of filler issues where they kept just having appearances by the Avengers and the X-Men. It just, like, I'm surprised it didn't get canceled, like Nico said, because it didn't seem like any of these issues had anything of relevance or substance or anything that adds to any of these five characters' histories. I think it really was them just trying to hold out the idea that the X-Men didn't have to fall apart just because Chris Claremont left. So they're still churning out these specials that only made sense when Claremont was doing them with Davis, and they're still churning out these weird offbeat stories, and I actually really do love the next era. In fact, I love the next few eras, but this was just a tough time to try and get through when I did my adult read-through. The cast had become stale, their stories weren't really advancing, and because nobody wanted to really fuck with the status quo, everybody was just in a dumb holding pattern. Oh, nope, we're all still arguing over the same things from issue 5. We have the Davis era from October 1991 to July 1993, which again, more Excalibur specials, and also saw Excalibur 42 to Excalibur 67, which saw the roster of Captain Britain, Megan, Nightcrawler, Shadowcat, Phoenix, and newcomers of Widget, Ceres, Micromax, and Ferron. What did these new characters add to the story? These are three characters I have never heard of and know nothing about. I don't think I've seen them in current day either, so who are they? Cerise is a member of the Shi'ar Empire, and anyone who listens to any of our other shows, especially a recent one about New Mutants, knows that I like a lot of Shi'ar characters, and Cerise is a Shi'ar Empire royal, if I'm remembering correctly, who ends up having a relationship with Nightcrawler, or becoming very close, and I kind of feel like they were forced together, but it ended up being quite nice, because throughout the first 40-some issues, of Excalibur, one of the things that did kind of seem to be constant was that Nightcrawler had this crush on Megan, but Megan was more so in love with Captain Britain, though she would from time to time flirt with Nightcrawler, which kind of had this whole Cyclops Jean Wolverine vibe. But yeah, Cerise is a pretty amazing Shi'ar warrior, and it just gave another female powerhouse to the team, and I really love that about Excalibur. Something that we didn't mention at the very beginning of all of this was the fact that this was a new team that was created that had five characters, and three of them were women. I thought that was pretty awesome of Marvel for making a book that was more headlined by women than it was men. So that's who Cerise is. Nico, you can talk about the other new additions to the team. I really enjoy the Davis years now. At the time, I don't think I cared for them, and I think that's because I wasn't ready for this story. One of the things that's a little bit confusing about this Davis era is that this Davis era is really just Alan Davis continuing his run on Captain Britain. It is this just more Captain Britain, just 100%. And... There were times that Alan Davis clearly wanted to have a little fun at Chris Claremont's expense. So we get Ferron, the magician who was a monk, who was always meant to inherit the phoenix, not Jean. And he had been training his whole life in an ancient order of monks, because it turns out the phoenix is not an ancient power entity. No, no, no. The phoenix is actually an ancient wizard, right? And phoenix and his BFF Merlin and their really sketchy buddy Necron, the anti-phoenix, were all hanging out at the dawn of time. And Merlin was like, so what's up, guys? And Necron was like, I'm gonna be death bad. And phoenix was like, no, don't do that. Plumes of don't do that. And Necron was like, ah, but now there's darkness. And phoenix was like, but I'm light. So that all happened happened, and Merlin was like, my job is to moderate all of this, kind of like Ooga Booga from the sky. And then, fast forward a little bit, it turns out that the whole reason Excalibur exists, and this is one of those things where, like, I can't fucking make this shit up, I'm not clever enough, right? Because... 
I I actually don't think it's good. But like I think I I'm you know when you don't like something but you know that's the balls to do it. Make it impressive. You know what I mean? When they reveal that the whole reason Excalibur has ever existed is because Kitty Pride can phase. And when she phases into Megan, Megan can use her elemental power to destabilize them into one person. But of course, that has to go somewhere. So it can go into Captain Britain, who swells up to ten times the size. But that's still too much power, so they phase Nightcrawler into them because he's got extra-dimensional abilities, you see. And then they phase Rachel into them, and now he's just giant Captain Excalibur? And he just looks like a big Brian. It's not like a monster thing. This is no Absorbaloff. We're not worried, right? But, so then giant Brian goes, and so then fast forward <laughs> after this, everybody, you know, it's it's kind of like a Matryoshka explosion. So, fast forward, it turns out when Rachel, as Phoenix, who's like kind of comatose, starts fighting Galactus, and she's like, you're a big bully, Galactus. You're a big, dumb, purple bully. And he's like, okay, featherhead, but let me tell you, fire girl, let me tell you, you eat placentas, but like pre-centas, pre-salentas, pre-cilantro. You pre-order your cilantro. So what happens is, Galactus reveals that while he consumes the living to remain powerful, the phoenix's power comes from eating the unborn. Everything that you just said is probably the most confusing thing that Jonah has ever heard. I am so confused. Why are people eating placentas? Wait, so they have a floating Google home, right? And its name is Widget? (laughs) <laughs> and it turns out... What'd you call this me? This floating... Right? It turns out this floating Google Home that they have, this little robot named Widget, it turns out he's Kitty Pride from the future, come to the past to help Rachel get back to the future <laughs> to stop the future from happening. So then they go back to Days of the Future Past, and clearly Alan Davis kind of, like, decided to leave in the middle. So, like, it's half an arc. And the cover, ironically, has Kate Pride in the future being like hasta la vista baby and then it's over in the middle of all of that jonah there was a time where nightcrawler had his own team of weird people and they were called the end men they are they're called the end men they're amazing (laughs) well okay i believe you that was probably a thing that did happen moving on from that that was definitely i feel like those were definitely some issues that were printed we have (laughs) we come back to the lobdell years from august 1993 to december 1994 for excalibur 68 to 85 which is all the roster of nightcrawler shadowcat moira Dugglock, and day tripper day tripper being my wonderful amanda sefton this is noticeably missing captain britain and megan what did that mean for the story where did they go yeah it was sort of decided that the thing that never worked about excalibur was fundamentally excalibur so they worked really hard to make it way less british let me tell you how much less british it gets it moves to muir island what what (laughs) muir island what Mm-hmm. Like right off the coast of Gullah Gullah Island, Muir Island, right. It <laughs> goes there. You mean the the birthplace of rain? I don't know if she was actually born Binya there. Binya Binya. I'm going to pretend she was. Yeah, these years, or at least the beginning of this era, was a little weird. Um, Again, I mean, it wasn't awful, but I, again, I kind of feel like they were doing whatever they could just to keep the name because the main parts of Excalibur were gone. It just seemed like a brand new book in a sense and probably should have had a different team name. We then move on to the Ellis years from October 1994 to November 1996. Saw Excalibur 83 to 103, which saw the increased roster of Nightcrawler, Shadowcat, Moira, Douglock, Megan, Captain Britain, Colossus, Pete, Wisdom, and Daytripper. Oh boy, so tell me about this new team and how the introduction of Wolverine stand-in Pete Wisdom had an effect on Kitty and her interesting relationship with Colossus. You know, there's two Peters here that she ended up dating, so that's something. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start throwing both 
Bows. This is one of my favorite comic book runs, bar none. It is perhaps the most slice-of-life X-Men book of all time, ever. And I also want to mention that there's a phenomenal miniseries that goes in there called Pride and Wisdom, which of course stars Pride and Wisdom. And this run was born of then-assistant editor Suzanne Gaffney bringing in Warren Ellis, and his revitalizations on these characters were so daring because his first issues are on a plot by Scott Lobdell, something called the Soul Sword Trilogy. Hmm. And then he takes over, but it's just as Age of Apocalypse is hitting. So really, his first major work on Excalibur as his own writer was the Excalibur alternate universe miniseries starring Mystique and Nightcrawler. And it's shocking how beautiful and effortless and gorgeous this era is. It pays tribute to all the best versions of Excalibur, and it has this honest-to-God, your-best-friends kind of vibe. This is the book about your friends drinking down at the pint. That was a really big feeling in comics right about now. That was Hellblazer. That was Preacher. That was a lot of books in this very British invasion era of comics. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, you had Kurt Busiek redefining big-screen, widescreen superhero heroics over in Astro City at this time. But we were seeing this return to bare minimalism. No wax poetic about this run for the rest of my life, so I'm going to pass it on over to Dylan and let somebody else talk about this run glowingly and lovingly as though it's the greatest thing that they've ever read, too. I love this era. Like Nico said, this was a really good mix of characters. I know I said that the last era just seemed not like Excalibur, but since this team, since it had Kitty and it had Kurt and I believe Megan was in it from time to time, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, they had done some really horrible things to Brian just before this. They had turned him into the ultra-violent, mindless... Not violent, but, like, willing to use force. But not like... I don't know how to explain it, but they just sort of 90s'd him, and they called him Britannic. And it was bad. And Warren Ellis's big focus was have Brian and Megan get back to who they were by meditation, by rebuilding an engine, by spending a day painting together. The entire idea behind this run is we are more than our super heroics. This run was about heroes getting to be people. It was about kindness and it was about forgiveness. This was hot off the heels of Colossus being a villain, of choosing to stand by Magneto instead of standing by Xavier. And I'm going to be really honest, there's something in this that didn't age well. There was a crossover called Fatal Attractions, which unfortunately does not end with a boiled rabbit. They believe that Colossus, having turned on the X-Men, is because he got hit in the head in metal form and has like a metal concussion and it's affecting his personality and it turns out he doesn't. It really does make it sound like they think CTE turns you into a supervillain. <laughs> it didn't age so well. There was a lot of issues at this time where they actually did end up going to the pub to drink and I just feel like this this book felt more like an X-Men book because of the mix of characters old and new from Excalibur and some former X-Men and X-Factor characters it was just a good mesh of older and new to make the book really feel like an X-Book and feel like it was Excalibur again. Yeah, I like that. It felt like it was Excalibur, even though so much of what we're saying makes it so unique and so different from Excalibur. This book was Excalibur. Jonah, you are someone who knows how to appreciate a quiet Sunday with the windows open and you know how to have a great time at a concert in a theme park, as some of the other Excess for Podcast hosts can attest. I believe this run is going to be one that resonates really well with your fandom, not just for its exquisite cast and the super hot Carlos Pacheco Nightcrawler redesign, but for the wealth of material it offers to fans. That Excalibur run is the one that Nico mentions and brings up a lot, and it's the one that I've been very much looking forward to.
And then we move to the Rob years from December 1996 to October of 1998, as well as February 2001 to May of 2001, which saw Excalibur 104 to 125, and what I'm assuming is the relaunch of Excalibur, which saw the roster of Nightcrawler, Shadowcat, Moira, Doug Locke, Megan, Captain Britain, Colossus, and Heat Wisdom. So, did it get reset? Was the title relaunched? What happened? Did that affect anything in how these characters were written? Is this the during the time when the characters are leaving? What what was going on during this specific era? They were officially unsure what to do. When Warren Ellis left, he left an enormous hole, and Ben Robb was the editor, or assistant editor on the book at the time, and stepped up and took on the writing, and immediately it's a different title. And, like, I don't mean this insultingly, right? But if Warren Ellis' work on Excalibur was Batman the Animated Series, the Robb era was that Batman and Robin follow-up where everything had a slightly cartoonier vibe and it was a little bit more tongue-in-cheek and there was a lot more crossing over. There had been this thing that was done to, I say this thing that was done to her. It's really funny. When I talk about it in X-Force, I talk about the Crimson Dawn story as something I enjoy, but when I talk about it in Excalibur, I talk about it as something that was done to Betsy. That's fascinating. I don't love the Crimson Dawn miniseries that sort of gets forced in here with it. What is it? The Dragon of the Dawn or something. And then there's the Colossus one-shot with Megan because now Colossus kind of has the Might Bang Megan storyline. And there's the Kitty Pride Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Larry Hama miniseries, which is okay, but it's very filler for the time. And there's New Mutants Truth or Death, which, okay, give me a second. I know that it's called New Mutants Truth or Death, but it's really an Excalibur story. Ben Robb wanted to keep telling some Rain and Day Tripper and Doug Locke stories that were kind of percolating in Excalibur, and it was all kind of like a New Mutants thing anyway, so they just kind of called it New Mutants Volume 2 Truth or Death, and it didn't fuck all to do with anything. And at the same time, as all of this is going on, Excalibur is supposed to still have like a serious tone. Like, even if the Warren Ellis years were kind of super duper, uber duper normal, right? Even if they were just so fucking normal, they still featured a sense of bad shit could happen and someone could die. And that certainly was not the case in the Rob years. During this time, there was also, because this is when there was also Moira, a part of the team and she was trying to find the cure to the legacy virus and this era there was I didn't really care t- too much for it because it kind of seemed like there wasn't a plan it was just storytelling to once again keep the name but there was a few issues that I really loved and like I said it was a time where Moira was trying to find the, the cure to the legacy virus and she was going to end up locking herself in some temporal lab that she would never be able to get out of until she found the cure there was a few issues where Banshee and I don't know why but Colossus and then Rain didn't want her to go in there and at the last second right before the door shut behind Moira Rain jumped in there with her to give Moira uh, a test subject but also because she loved Moira because Moira was basically her mother I thought it was some pretty heartfelt stories between or panels between Moira and Rain during this time and I think that's probably one of the very few things that I remember from this era of Excalibur. As far as your question as to what is that Excalibur 1 through 4, the only reason Excalibur ended truly, I'd have to source the interview, but I'll know I can find it if I look hard enough. Excalibur ended because they wanted Kitty, Colossus, and Nightcrawler back. That's it. At that point, it looked like there was more money in reuniting the giant size X-Men than there was in an Excalibur book. So Excalibur got cancelled, and the characters got pulled back. At some point, they realized they just wanted to keep... They just wanted to keep, I guess, buyer consciousness aware of the title, and they threw together a four-issue miniseries. It follows Captain Britain, Psylocke, and they do really fuck all. But it's got a real sexy redesign. And that's that. (laughs) Okay. And now, we're back to the Claremont years, but he forgets what book this is. In July 2004 to July 2005, which saw Excalibur 1 to 14, another reboot, which had the roster of, and I am just very confused by this, Xavier Magneto, Hub, Book, Angel, Husk, Scalp Hunter, and Scarlet Witch. Well, those are some characters, and I know that they definitely appear in the X-Men. Well, I've never heard of Scalp Hunter or Book, but you know, both of those mutant names, if they are mutants, are very terrible. I'm sorry. Those are terrible. 
So, I want to talk for a minute about the... Jeez, how do I... Man, I'm not even sure how to talk about this version of Excalibur. Okay, it's good, but it's, like, dumb. The only good thing... <laughs> the only good thing that I believe came out of this series was, besides the fact that it was actually giving Husk some more panels, because Husk hasn't had very many panels at this point in time in X-Men comics, was the fact that we got to have Karima Chopendar come back in a very interesting way of by means of becoming a sentinel and that's the only good thing I can think that came out of this run. It had nothing to do with any history of the name of Excalibur. It had nothing to do with London. It had nothing to do with Mere Island. It really was an offshoot that should have never had the name Excalibur and... It really was just... So at the end of Grant Morrison's New X-Men, they began working tirelessly to retcon out the events of New X-Men like immediately and this is one of those titles. It's actually a really good book, but it shouldn't exist. From one attempt of forgetting what the book was about, he tries again in January 2006 to January 2007. Uncanny X-Men 464 to 467. New Excalibur 1 to 22. Exiles 88 to 100. X-Men Die by the Sword 1 to 5. Ooh, those are some titles, and that's a lot of books to read. Which, a very small roster, too, including Captain Britain and Pete Wisdom. Dazzler, Juggernaut, Nocturne, and Sage. Um, did he forget what book this is again? Because, uh, what is the first X-Man, or as she is known, the X-Woman, Sage? Well, she was the first one. We all know that I am the first X-Character. What are all these characters doing there? And Juggernaut? And what is Dazzler doing? <laughs> Actually, much good book book much good. I also enjoy Michael Ryan. He would go on to do Runaways with Joss Whedon. This is a good dot 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 fun dot dot dot. I guess by the end passable dot dot dot. But what really happened is during New Excalibur, Chris Claremont suffered a debilitating stroke and it was terrible because he had been at this like really good place and you know he comes back and he does Revolution and it's not that well received and then he does Extreme X-Men which at times is great at times it's terrible and then he does another run on uncanny and at times it's great at times it's terrible and he's finally getting to pay off this storyline with psylocke that he's been writing for like 30 years and then he finally gets to pay off this storyline with jamie braddock that he's been writing for like 30 years and he has a stroke and he doesn't get to finish either story by himself he needs help to get his deadlines and then he has to push off writing Exiles. It was just a, a terrible, sad situation. There was a lot of cool ideas. There were some not-so-cool ideas, but ultimately, there was some gorgeous Chris Bacalo art. Oh, my God. I would agree with Nico on the fact that the new Excalibur book, it does seem like Claremont may not have known what he was doing or what book it was, but I feel like he was having fun with a book full of characters that he loved, especially Captain Britain, because he was the only returning main character from the original Excalibur. It was a weird mix of characters. I remember when this title came out, going to comic book stores and hearing other patrons talk about it, especially Juggernaut and Dazzler being on the same team, because at this point in time in comics, Dazzler and Juggernaut had actually had a few run-ins that was are kind of memorable. And then characters like Sage, who at this point is still kind of new to a lot of people. She hadn't been in very many books, and we knew her as Tessa before, but still fairly new character. And Nocturne had just came out of Exiles, and I feel like that was Claremont's way of having Nightcrawler be on the team, but not really. It was a fun book, but it was also a weird book, and... I think it may not have lasted because of the weirdness of the roster, but it still was a fun read. Yeah, and it's made better by supplementing it with the Excalibur, and then what really is Uncanny X-Men 444 through 475. I tried to just go with the arc that brought back Captain Britain, but really, it was quite a considerable number of comics. Well, moving on from some beautiful art and some maybe some interesting comics, we have what appears 
appears to be the just the cross time capers, but even I don't fucking know. <laughs> from March 2008 to April 2009 for New Exiles 1 to 18, and Nico has told me, don't even bother with the roster. So, um, <laughs> I'm gonna guess, Nico, you don't like these issues. Dylan, it's okay. what are your opinions? No, no, no. No, no, no. No one said I don't like it. No one said I don't like it, but when one of your main characters is a male mystique who can't shapeshift named Raphael, whose main ability is they're really good with a with a sword, it's a weird goddamned book. Oh, right, and then there's Gambit named Yeah, don't forget the I Gambit forgot. the character named Gambit, which is basically a blonde Aquaman Namor. Oh, how did I forget? And this is one of the books that gave us one of the cat prides with claws, right? This is one of the cat claw cats? Yes, it is. And, you know, Jonah, when I say don't bother, sometimes it's not because I don't love it. I'm trying to protect you. Paul Cornell's run from July 2008 to September 2009. Captain Britain and MI-13 1-15, which are the roster of Captain Britain, Pete Wisdom, Spitfire, Blade, and Black Knight. Now, Black Knight is a name I kind of recognize because he's kind of taking over Captain Britain's book and making Brian a side character in his own title in where you and Kevo are covering Captain Britain, right? Oh yeah, but I'm gonna be honest, this is like one of my all-time favorite runs on Captain Britain. Really. Like, mega far and away. I love it. It's really weird. The first arc is all about secret invasion, so it's like magic alien stuff, and then the second arc is all about illusions, so nothing in it really fucking happens, and then the third arc is all about vampires, right? And... Not Dracula. There's an annual... No, no, I mean, well... And so then there's... This entire amazing annual about a character named Gloriana, and it's incredible. And this gives us Faiza, who now wields Excalibur. I genuinely love this book. I wish it had a special edition hardcover or omnibus, just something to have it in a single volume collection. I think if you throw in Wisdom 1 to 6, which is the first work Paul Cornell did on the character, he did a miniseries with Trevor Hairsign, Wisdom 1 to 6, and then he moved on over to this title. I really genuinely cannot recommend this book enough. If you like weird magic at Marvel, this is the book for you. Dylan, do you have any comments on this weird, interesting look into Marvel's magic life? Well, I was just going to say this is one of those that is a part of the solo Captain Britain eras that I didn't have never read. But I do know that during this era, in Marvel Comics at the beginning of the MI-13 book, and I think a, a few months prior to that, House of M was going on in Marvel Comics, and one of the losses from House of them was Megan disappeared from Marvel continuity and went into limbo, but during MI-13, I know that Megan made her comeback, and I'm happy about that. So that's all I have to add about that. And I know that my notes for this episode say that there's another era that follows, but honestly, there isn't. There have been some half-hearted attempts to give Captain Britain a little bit more spotlight over the years, one of them being the two-month-long Revolutionary War event, which saw a number of Marvel UK's more beloved characters reemerge. We saw the return of Dark Archangel, Knights of Pendragon, Death's Head 2, who actually has a miniseries going right now, which is a tremendous book. I actually really recommend it. If you like weird offbeat British shit, you should check out Death's Head 2. That's great. We also saw the return of Motormouth, and that was nice. And then Rick Remender was given a little too much Captain Britain for my taste, and he wrote him over in Uncanny X-Force, and then we saw him over again in Secret Avengers before the MI-13 task team showed up in Legacy. And then again, an X-Force by Cy Spurrier. I don't know. Toward the end, I just start to feel like it's all a mess. I would once again agree with Nico. I feel like after the attempts of new Excalibur, most stories that had to do with any characters like Captain Britain kind of just fell short. I think feel like some writers at Marvel were trying to revitalize some of the characters, especially Captain Britain, in tiny little one-shot stories. The main one that I know is Uncanny X-Force, and it kind of felt a little forced and confusing with just the tone of X-Force being mixed with the tone of Excalibur. It didn't fit, and... Yeah, I feel like Excalibur was kind of dead until its new dawn this past month. Dylan, 
I loved talking about Excalibur with you and finding out the parts that you brilliantly skipped. And Jonah, getting to fill you in on this book that has been so important to me and you getting to hear why I love this book has meant so much to me. What did you guys think? I mean, this was... I don't know how it's going to edit together, but the runtime on this recording session is crazy. I feel like when it comes to Excalibur, there might have been errors that we said were a little harsh, but the book as a whole, it has always been an interesting sister team to the X-Men, and I think it's actually been a more heartfelt, family-like book, mainly just because a lot of the times most of the teams were so close to each other that it just seemed more like family than X-Men because as X-Men teams went on and more members joined, there wasn't necessarily the close bonds or close friendships that, say, the first original five members of Excalibur had and going into future years where Moira and characters like that were added. Moira and those characters were added, but they had already had a huge history with a lot of these characters, so it felt more like a heartfelt team. And even though we mentioned a few eras not being that well, I think it's an overall good series that people should check out. And I feel like the new Dawn of X Excalibur has an interesting crew that could also bring in that very bonding element. I concur. I think out of all the new Dawn of X titles, I'm keeping my eye closest on Excalibur because I feel like it has the potential to be one of my favorites. I don't think it's there yet, but it has the elements it needs. It just needs to get the ball rolling a little faster. But I'm more than excited to start this run. I know it's going to be really interesting. I know there's going to be a lot of characters I like and stories that have influenced Marvel forever. But overall, I'm really, I cannot wait to get to this era and these issues. And until we find ourselves back in the pages of X-Men. Dylan, where can everybody find you online? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men group that is called House of X, and you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Jonah, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K-J-O-N-A-H. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me all over this amazing network on shows like HTML, currently covering Star Wars, or in our archives on shows like MCU, X-Men Foxverse, or Alien Legacy. Each week, Kim and I take a look at a different piece of a jigsaw media puzzle. Big fucking fun. You should check it out. Don't forget to check out the other feeds of this show as well, where we talk about all different kinds of X-Men comics. But I mean, pretty much always X-Men comics. I mean, sometimes a little bit of Thor, but pretty much X-Men. We have all sorts of feeds, like 70s X-Men Explosion, where we cover the reemergence of the X-Men under the tutelage of Chris Claremont. We take a look at X-Men Mutant Mania most Mondays, although right now we're running this amazing program, The Danger Room Files, that every Thursday you can check out our reaction to the previous week's X-Men comics in totality in We Are Krakoa. That, of course, features myself, Jonah, the guy who started this whole amazing thing, and our bestest buddies, Dylan and Kyle. We could not do it without everybody. And if you like what you hear, you might even like what you see. Don't forget to check out my website over at KidRiotComics.com, where you can check out the adventures of my super cool speedster, and Nico Action on Instagram. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. If you like what you hear, like, subscribe, click, link, fuck. Don't blomp, clink. <laughs> that was actually all me speaking Krakoan. And until we come back, everybody, Necron the Anti Phoenix on. What? Oh my. Bye. <laughs> I like my exit just being what? <laughs> <laughs>